are absolutely buzzing. We've got Nick Hamilton on this episode, a whole episode for you, Nick. Plenty of stuff that we can't wait um, to talk about and just obviously the brilliant story that you do have and I think our audiences would be absolutely thrilled to to learn a bit more about you and just the name that obviously we see on paper but first and foremost how have you been because this has obviously been a a wild year for us all um even wilder and probably more difficult for professional sports people like yourself not being able to you know have the freedom to get to your regular routine so how have you just handled it all yeah um firstly thank you so much for for having me on uh what a fantastic opportunity to be a part of um yeah i mean uh the covid situation has been uh a crazy situation for for everybody um it was it was a shock to the system for everyone uh a whole new routine for people to get used to um you know understanding different things and um yeah especially for sports sportsmen and women uh athletes that will you know are planning the start of their seasons or whatever and then all of a sudden things got um you know put into lockdown especially here in the uk um from march onwards um yeah that really sort of made things quite difficult to deal with um so for me uh being in british touring cars the pinnacle of british motorsport i uh signed with a new team this year um we we did our testing program out in spain um in february um, and then, yeah, got cut short because of, of COVID. And then we came to, to the UK in March. Um, and then all of the preparation that we'd done in that period of time uh, pretty much uh, got halted. And uh, the start of the season got delayed from, from uh, the 1st of April to, I think it was the 21st of August. So, um, yeah, it, it, this whole period of time has been really unique uh, as well as quite frustrating, um, but also has, has opened up uh my mind i would say um to to what is important and uh yeah the the natural feeling of life and realizing that you know spending time with uh, your loved ones and you know not being in the hustle and bustle of life in general um isn't always that important i was gonna say i know that a lot of people obviously use this time to either craft new skills or get on a new workout routine but obviously for you um what was the hardest part to, to, I suppose, deal with? I know we've spoken to a couple of other, mainly F1 drivers too, and they said that the hardest part for them to come to terms was, was that we probably might not even have a season in 2020. So for you as well, was that ever a real fear for you that you wouldn't be getting back into the car until probably next year? Yeah, I mean, personally, that's, that means I don't have a job, right? So um, just like everybody uh, at the time, um, you know, some people could work from home. Um, especially for me, if I if I don't race my car, um, I don't have I, I don't have any source of source of income, right? So um, that was a, a, a scary scary moment. Um, but you know, not everything is is about about money or anything like that. So I knew that uh, just keeping fit and healthy throughout lockdown as much as I could um, would be very important. Um, but then realised that I, I couldn't have a connection. Um, with my physiotherapists or my uh, my chiropractors uh, at all through that period of time. So my legs were tightening up. Um, I couldn't get the work that was needed. So, you know, as well as not being able to drive my car physically, um, I was also struggling phys physically in terms of, um, you know, the way my body felt through lockdown. So it was quite uncomfortable. Um, but I, 
instead of picking up new skills, I, I, I got on to a, a new challenge um, to help raise money for the NHS. Um, and I did that, which was um, my girlfriend's um, garden has uh, four steps <clears throat> going up and down, um, leading up to their garden. And uh, with anyone with cerebral palsy, especially me, you know, walking up steps with no handrail is really difficult. Um, so I did a challenge uh, which replicated the amount of times Lewis had had uh, podiums. Um, so he'd walked up and down the steps 151 times to the podium. Um, so that meant I'd have to uh, walk up and down these four or five steps 151 times to, to raise money for the NHS. So I did that through, through lockdown um, and I, I raised, uh, I think it was 16,000 pounds, which is not too bad. Um, and something, yeah, something sort of new, kept my, my legs moving, um, something for me to focus on and, and sort of kept me busy. You're going to have to add a couple more steps to that now. You have to <laughs> call right. up the big bro and say, hang on, give me a chance, give me a chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, that is absolutely brilliant because I know you've spoken about it. And of course, for those that don't know that you do have cerebral palsy, you were saying that it's actually the, the tightness of, of, of the muscles and stuff that, that you have to contend with, which is why physio is so important, right? Yeah, I mean, so, so just to go over myself briefly, you know, I was born two months premature. Um, diagnosed with spastic diaplegia, which is a, a form of cerebral palsy. Um, now, I think it's one in 500 births are diagnosed with this, this condition or with cerebral palsy. And um, yeah, it's like a, an umbrella of loads of different conditions. <clears throat> um, so spastic diaplegia is, um, you know, uh, the lower part of the human body. So, so my legs are affected and my, my weaker side is my right side. Um, but I would explain it as being probably double as weak or twice as weak um, as an able-bodied person's weaker side because everybody has a weaker side um, and I was told I wouldn't be able to walk um, by the doctors uh, you know I wasn't I wasn't breathing when I was born initially I was an incubator for six weeks um, and yeah rushed rushed away um, and didn't really have a, a direction a purpose um, and uh, my parents didn't really know what to do with me uh, because they'd never had a disabled son before. And obviously they've got Lewis who is eight years older than me. Um, and yeah, I think they made a collective decision to make my life as difficult as possible, not wrap me up in cotton wool. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, I went from, uh, you know, the, the usual school routine. I didn't really understand how I would be able to walk or anything because it was physically impossible for me to do so. Um, I had an operation when I was um, four years old to um, release all the tendons um, and spasticity in my muscles. So it was uh, down the back of the hamstrings, back of the ankles and uh, my groin, my groin area. And that allowed me to um, put my feet down as in uh, the soles of my feet. So when able-bodied people walk, um, you know, they walk, if you put your left foot forward first, you know, you put your heel down first and then you use your whole your whole foot to balance. Um, whereas before the operation, I could only stand on my tiptoes and my legs were super, super tight. Um, and I couldn't, even if I was sitting on a, a toilet or something, I wouldn't be able to pull them apart. You know, they were that, that tight. So that operation allowed me to straighten my legs, give myself a bit more of, um, uh, I, I don't know, more, more freedom, more uh, loose uh, feeling. Um, and it's sort of sort of life changing, but I then had to try and learn to walk and walking long distances were really difficult. So um, I went into a wheelchair 
um, and I ended up wheelchair bound for about five, five, six years. Um, and yeah, we tried to go to school and tried to fit in, but you know, being this um, disabled black kid at school was always difficult. Um, you know, getting bullied, and um, yeah, I didn't really, really know why I was the the chosen one with my condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, I, I was following my brother Lewis for ever since I can remember from a from a little kid. You know, we came from nothing. You know, from a one bedroom apartment to um, to following a dream and helping helping Lewis achieve what he achieves today. Um, but always knew that I wanted to get into motorsport and it was my motorsport that gave me that lease of life to get out of my wheelchair and um, try and work on my condition um, to be able to compete against everybody people um, which now I do in the pinnacle of British motorsport. I was gonna say that's actually where I was going to talk to you next because we definitely still want to get into how you even started of all sports given everything you went through and all the no's I'm sure you heard growing up. Um, how you ended up choosing motorsport, which everyone would say is probably one of the toughest sports to do, period, just given the, the risk and reward, you know, involved in it. But um, now you are, as you said, pinnacle of British sports, which I know a lot of people here absolutely adore, um, British Touring Car Championship. Were you in action over the weekend at Croft? Yeah, it was indeed. Uh, it wasn't the, wasn't the greatest weekends for us, just because we struggled um with the car we didn't do qualifying which was really um frustrating for us uh we didn't do race one we had a a gearbox problem which put us out of race two so we only did um one race out of (laughs) three three races uh yesterday so it wasn't the greatest of days um but you know that's what most sports talk about It's, it's ups and downs um and yeah in my second year of british touring cars um so yeah hopefully there's a lot more to a lot more to come, a lot more opportunities. Um, I'm just using this uh, period of time, especially with this weird situation with COVID, with um, the yeah. season being compressed and everything like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a, another learning process um, with a lot of um, exciting opportunities for, for 2021. I was going to say, and I mean, now we could definitely delve into just how you even got started in, in oh. motorsports. Granted, um, knowing how Lewis is and knowing how um, he speaks about your father, <laughs> it, it, see, it almost seems like you didn't even have a choice. But like I said, motorsports, I mean, I like to think I'm pretty quick. You know, I think I go probably a little too quick down that motorway every now and again. But I definitely don't have the guts to go as quick as you guys do, even halfway there. So just how did you decide to to start into you know to get into motorsport given lewis and given your dad do you feel like you just didn't have a choice that that love was just always there um well firstly my dad knew nothing about motorsport you know when he was growing up uh he was just a a poor poor black guy wanted to do the best for his his family and tried to think of something for lewis to do on a weekend um you know lewis was eight years old by the time I was born. So he was trying to find something fun for Lewis to do. And he started remote control car racing and was really good at it when he was six years old and um, got into go-kart through um, through something they did on holiday, I think, one year and um, made a decision to, to try and, and do it for, for a hobby. <clears throat> um, so karting was the start of, of everything for, for Lewis and his career. And, and when I came along, that's all I knew. All I knew was going to a racetrack um, every weekend and it was a family thing. Um, 
it was my mum, my dad and Lewis, and it was just all of us together um, as a family unit. And it started out being a hobby and then Lewis got, you know, good at it. And by the time he was, you know, 10 years old, he was a British champion and, and signed by McLaren when he was 13. So it became a, a, it became our life at that period of time. Um, and as I said, that's all I knew. So all I wanted to do when I, when I grew up was to, to, to race. And um, I didn't think I'd be able to with my legs. <clears throat> so my dad actually never really gave me the opportunity to, to drive go-karts or anything like that, because I don't think he wanted me to, to do it. And uh, he, he said to me, um, Nick, I will put you in a go-kart um, when you are strong enough to run away from a go-kart, <laughs> which is fair enough. Right, which is fair enough, um, yeah, because he has to think of my condition, right? Before, before That's get used out. to his bolt on. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, when I was when I was seven years old, um, my dad actually rented a, a cadet cart, which is the first, um, it's the first series in karting back in the day. Um, yeah, a, a cadet cart. He rented it from a friend, and um, he uh, he said, Nick, I'm gonna give you a chance in a go kart, and we'll. Uh, We'll go down to the to the local car park um, where there's nothing that you can hit and you can have a, a bit of a go. And so he he um, at the time Lewis had a, a sponsored uh, McLaren um, van and everything. So it had Lewis Hamilton Motorsport down the side. But we we were going we were going for me. So I was really excited um, to 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 be, to get this opportunity. But I had all the all the race suit and helmet, all the gear, no idea sort of thing. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but we got to this car park and this car park was absolutely massive. You know, when you're, you're seven years old and you're, you're short, everything is magnified. And uh, the, the ramp going into the car park um, wasn't really that steep, but my dad used it as a, like a brake test sort of thing. So he got me in the go-kart, said, right, left foot is brake, right foot's go. And he pushed me down this ramp and, and said, brake. And um, I, I, I barely stopped. But my dad is a all or nothing kind of character and was like, oh, well, you know, Nick, we want you to do basically a figure of eight. You know, so go in this direction, turn around, come back and turn around and keep doing this figure of eight until, until you get bored. And, uh, you know, it'd be good for you to try it. So I was so excited because I was, I was driving this go-kart for the first time. And after, you know, the doctor saying I would never be able to do anything, I was actually doing something that I always wanted to do. Um, but yeah, long story short, I went in one direction and I didn't come back. Uh, and I, uh, <laughs> I got, got to the end of this car park and I, I hit this curb and disappeared down a six foot drop. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I landed, uh, landed <laughs> in uh, like six inches of water and, and my, my parents were almost uh, behind me. So they see me just disappear off the face of the earth, right? And the car park's massive, so my, my mum and dad have to keep run, come running down. My mum's hair's all over the place. My dad's <laughs> heart, in his mouth. And, you know, I'm down this six-foot drop with the engine still running, engine smoking a bit because of the water and, you know, thinking, what the, what the hell happened there? And, and it was because my, my leg, my left leg wasn't strong enough to, to hit the brake pedal because the brake pedal is so much stiffer than the accelerator. Mm -hmm. um, that's where my, my condition really hindered me. Um, and so that was it, no motorsport for Nick. And uh, all I did was continue to follow Lewis and follow Lewis and follow Lewis. And I still had that love, that passion for motorsport because it's all I knew. But I knew that I wouldn't be able to do it uh, in real life because as seven years old, I, I couldn't do it at all. 
Um, and so I turned my attention to simulation gaming, which is, which is now eSports. Uh, but eSports wasn't a thing back then. And I basically got this cheap steering wheel, uh, £20 it cost me, and I put it on, a, put it on the desk. And I, I just used buttons on the steering wheel, and I, I got this game through the door. And I just put, put my mind into this game for years and years and years and years. And to the point where I became a British champion, which sounds really sad. Um, but no, I, that's, that's the way forward now. <laughs> it, now it is, but it wasn't at the time. Um, so, I, so you were ready for quarantine lockdown gaming before anybody else was. <laughs> yeah, twenty pound steering wheel, and uh, yeah, I just I just had a, a love for it, and my brother realized how good I was at it, and he said, you know, you, you clearly got something, um, you know, some potential there. You know, why don't we do it for real again? And by this time I was now uh, 17 and you know I'd gone through my wheelchair situation my bullying I still was struggling to walk but I had, I had stronger legs than before but not strong enough um, really um, so my dad took me to a, a driving school um, to, to see if I could you know do it again and I went to, into a BMW M3 for the first time never never driven a, a road car um, or a race sort of version of a road car before and made sure I could brake was the first thing. Um, and I ended up being uh, a second faster than the instructor on my, my first day, which completely like shocked my dad. And, uh, and yeah, and then, and then uh, he said, Nick, you know, do you want to get into motorsport? And my answer was obviously yes. And um, we chose the, the Renault Clio Cup, which is... Um, you know, one step down from British Touring Cars. So it's the, it, at the time, it was the, uh, the toughest one-make series um, in the UK with all of the um, up-and-coming drivers um, from karting all the way through to touring cars. And uh, so, yeah, that's when my, my, my career started in 2011, uh, where we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of budget. So we just basically tested all the races and then, uh, yeah, the BBC filmed my filmed my documentary. It was a fly on the wall documentary. So it was a unbelievable whirlwind that I wasn't expecting. You know, I went from from pretty much nothing to to everything in terms of racing in 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 the space of four months. Um, and I had to really work on my legs and and improve them and strengthen them. Um, you know, where when I was when I was training, I knew that I needed to get to like a hundred kilos of pressure um, yeah. to, be able to hit the pedal but I could only push 20 kilos with my left, with both my legs, you know, so I had to really work hard to, to get my, my condition strong enough. Um, and now, yeah, to a point where I can push, you know, 130 kilos with my left leg or, or something, but you know, that's so important and a, a part of the story that if I hadn't have had that grit and determination to continue to walk and work on my, my physiotherapy and all that sort of stuff, um, I wouldn't be able to be as competitive as I am um, in an able-bodied sport uh, because really I'm a, I'm a Paralympian in the Olympics because uh, I'm the only disabled guy doing it. Exactly. And I was going to say, I mean, just hearing that first story, of course, when you said you flipped over, um, I have to ask the hardest question. How hard was it to convince mom to let you do this? Because I'm sure after she saw that, I mean, my dog would stub his toe and I'm ready to wrap him in bubble wrap. So I can only imagine what mom was feeling after that. What was it like going to her and having, I guess, you and dad and maybe even Lewis chip in and be like, yo, let Nick do this. He can do this. I'd be like, mom, this is really what I want to do. Yeah. Well, my, my mom, she's, 
my mum is my everything, to be fair. She is my, my left arm, both my arms. You know, she, she lives through me. Um, and she, she, I would say she's the, the person that understands me and my condition the, the most. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big mummy's boy, which at the time my brother always used to take the mick out of me for. But I'm, No I'm, shame I'm, in that. <laughs> not, no shame at all. I'm proud of it. And, um, you know, she, she's an all or nothing type of character as well. She, she just allowed me to do what I wanted to do. And, and if it was, you know, going flat out down a hill in my wheelchair, she would just allow me to do it. And if I was to fall and hurt myself, she knew that I would be okay and that I will learn. And it's all a learning process. So mm-hmm. because she's been so strong in seeing the the falls and the failures and the successes that I've had and, and not and have not really pulled me back from that. It's made me an independent human through my disability. She um, she she knew that she didn't like it and the fact that I wanted to race, but she can't hold me back and I've got to do what I want to do, right? So um, she the only thing she didn't want me to do is race a motorbike. That was yeah, fair. And she said, uh, yeah, if you ever got on a motorbike, you'd have to run me over first to get out of the pit lane almost, you know? So <laughs> Love that. She would be in front of it, right? So for me, so that's the only thing. So uh, she she was, she's fine. Obviously, she's, she's nervous every time I'm in the car, but, you know, that's what parents are all about. Uh, but my mum would uh, be even more upset if she felt she was holding me back because she's never done that. And like you said, because you got a taste of obviously motorsports and then you constantly saw it around you with, you know, Lewis and then the role that your dad played as well in Lewis's career. But um, you kind of felt like you had to take a step back. So during that step back before you got a second taste and realized, yes, this is what I want my career to be. Did you ever have a moment where you had to think of a plan B? And, and if so, what was that plan B that you were probably considering during all those years? Uh, yeah, I'm always considering a plan B. Uh, because motorsport is um, it's a it's a really tough industry um, and there's a lot of people in the world that think that because of my brother and who he is and how much money he has and how successful he is um, is the reason of why I am where I am today and they believe that he's the person that puts all the money into my motorsport and continue today uh, allows me to continue motorsport. Um, whereas I've been trying to tell the story so much um, and, and be really open about it and tell people that, um, you know, you are speaking to me today in this podcast uh, as I sit in my two bedroom apartment um, in Hertfordshire, England, where, you know, I pay for everything myself. And in, in this area, on this desk and on this screen, I create my motorsport for myself. Um, I contact all of my sponsors and I do everything I can uh, to raise my own funds. And if I don't raise, raise the funds, I don't race. I don't go to, to Lewis. I don't knock on his door and say, hey, bro, I know you've got loads of money. Can you uh, give me a couple of million pounds um, to race? Um, I've always said to Lewis, his money is his money and he should uh, you know, keep it and do whatever he wants with it and not to, to spend anything on me. Um, and even if he did uh, give me the money, I wouldn't accept it uh, because I'm a, I'm a grafter. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe in um, creating the opportunities yourself. But also in life, it is not uh, 
always about what you know, it's who you know. And if you can be good at networking and improving your, your brand and your situation and who you are, um, at the end of the day, you'll get people on your side. And uh, I went through a, a big period of time where I wanted to raise, I was desperate to raise, I couldn't raise the money. Um, so then I had to take that period of time out. Um, and, and still today, I still learn every day of, of I'm basically a, a, a marketing director and a CEO and a racing driver all in one, because I've got to understand why brands would want to partner with me, why they want to, to sponsor me, give me that support that I, that I need to be able to race. Because as I said, if I don't have the money, I don't race. And it, it's so difficult to, to really get what you need, especially um, you know, being a Hamilton, um, because they think it's all um, a better, better roses. Um, but it also can be very, uh, a very difficult place to be um, when you're in the shadow of your brother and um you know he's taking the world by storm which i'm so so proud of um but also they um you know people are very quick to judge uh, me as an individual um where i've come from who i am what i do um, so it's like a blessing and a curse at the same time to be a hamilton <laughs> for sure in, in that sense in that sense in terms of other people um and how other people perceive you from from a brand perspective you know people will be like you know why don't you just ask your brother for the money or or whatever you know I've had in the past um, or when you're um, you know when you sign for a new team and and they just say oh it's all it's all because of Lewis if it wasn't for Lewis he wouldn't be there what sort of stuff where I know that Lewis has had no involvement in my my new signing or anything has mm -hmm. been through this for me at my desk you know making a nuisance of myself and working on my own working on myself and obviously the brand the Hamilton brand will is helpful um, and what Lewis does is, is also helpful. It gives me the, the foot in the door. Um, but they also partner with me as a person and because of my journey and because of my story and because of what I do for, uh, for not just disabled people, but able-bodied people as well. And, and how I try and use my story to uh, inspire people um, in all walks of life. Um, but it's been, it's been tough. So yeah, those, those period of times of, of not really having... Uh, any direction um i didn't really know where i was going to go and to answer your second question would be to i, I would always look into to management or go into something within motorsport because i know it at the back of my hand um but yeah i'm going to be pushing hard to continue to um stay within the british touring car championship i'm only in my second year and i know these guys that i'm up against are, you know they can be ranging from anything from one to 20 years of experience so uh i just got to keep plowing on and and uh keep dedicated <clears throat> and uh so far so good um you know i'm doing the right things and i've got the right sponsors behind me with with uh with rocket and monster energy and um yeah big change and abk beer and all that and, and it's been a, a long slog um but something i'm really really proud of when you finally started to race competitively um what was that like? Like, what were some of the, I suppose, opportunities that were available for you or probably the ones that weren't and you kind of had to graft that bit extra for? And what was kind of the reception like, given the fact that you just said that obviously when people see the Hamilton name and knowing the success that Lewis had by then, even as a youngster, because he's that much older than you, um, what was it like dealing with that as well? 
yeah, I mean, um, people, people were excited to, to see me. Uh, you know, when I first rolled out for my first, uh, first race uh, in 2011, you know, it was a real, real big deal. Um, the amount of uh, exposure, the amount of people, the amount of fans that I had around me on my first weekend was, was incredible. It's so much for me to take in, you know, because four months prior to that, I was just sitting, sitting in my bedroom with no, with no direction. I just had a dream um, that was never really going to become a reality at that point. Um, and then all of a sudden, yeah, four months later, I'm, I'm sitting on the grid of my first my first race with BBC documentary and all these people around me. Um, so it was, I got welcomed, uh, I would say, um, in a very positive way. Um, it's not until you go further down your career where you're always going to have those people that are trying to pull you down a peg, um, you know, try and give you some sort of negativity, um, thinking that they know the scenario thinking they know the story um you know and especially these days you get a lot of so-called keyboard warriors that are uh, oh don't we know, you know they're, they're so uh, they're so positive and strong about themselves behind a screen and a, and a keyboard uh, but would but would never want to say it to your face um and this is the thing because in touring cars before uh, covid we had uh, you know um uh, fan signing sessions, uh, autograph yeah. sessions, you know, and I have a lot of uh, loads of people, you know, wanting signings from me and signatures from me. And they say, Oh, Nick, you're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. And you don't actually know whether that person that you've just signed an autograph to, to your face said that you're amazing, but um, behind the, behind the keyboard, you know, last week, they were the ones slagging you off. Um, <laughs> but as a, uh, but as an athlete, as a professional brand, and for someone like myself, I have to always remain um, positive and strong um, because if I was to make any mistake in terms of how I come across to people, um, then uh, first impressions are everything. And um, people will say, oh yeah, Nick Hamilton, um, you know, he fobbed me off. He was not a very nice character. And then that's all they'll hold me to for the rest of my life. Um, but I've done well enough to, I don't think anyone's got a bad word to say about me. Um, and uh, I think that's, that's a, a good thing. I'm proud of that. And hopefully it'll just continue to, to help me as I want to get more support um, throughout, throughout my career. And then, like I said, with all of that, I mean, people view you as a success story, 100%. And, you know, there's um, other people that whether they've either been through accidents, whether they're born with a disability or been through accidents and then have had to um, deal with that after, compared to when you started to now, have you seen enough of a change for the better in how the opportunities for people with disabilities, at least in motorsports, have been presented? Do you feel like um, that a big change has been made for the better or is there still a lot more that you want to see? Uh, I've, I've seen, I've seen changes. Um, I wouldn't say I've seen massive changes. Um, and I've only seen changes through, um, people or organizations doing it for themselves. Mm. Not, not because, um, motorsport UK 
have decided we want to create more disabled uh, or more opportunities within motorsport for disabled people it's it's uh, organizations of disabled people that have have always had dreams to be with, in motorsport going let's why don't if we all come together maybe we can um, you know race a car or maybe we can be a part of the team um, I don't I don't really see um, motorsport UK getting involved in trying to create more opportunities for disabled people um, which is really really difficult um, and and so yeah especially for me I would love to to see a lot more being done um, because the the thing is and I've, I've said this a lot in, in a lot of my interviews is that um, the country the country is is run by able-bodied people so um, <laughs> whether it's motorsport whether um, you know generally it's, it's government making decisions for disabled people or on the behalf of a disabled person mm -hmm. um, they're, they're not physically disabled so they make decisions that they think is right but actually it doesn't really help us they can't relate because they can't they can't relate to it so um you know in the uk we have disabled bays and all these things for 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 shopping or supermarkets or or festivals or race circuits but especially in a race circuit they say a dis the disabled parking is to help and aid or to, to help aid disabled people but it's just as far away um <laughs> as the the normal car parking bay places you know and uh and someone like me uh this weekend you know i i wasn't allowed to i'm not allowed to park my car next to my team truck which i would love to instead i have to park it miles away and walk you know and and i'm thinking that's that's me as well you know uh thank god i can i can walk um because if i if i couldn't you know, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to, to have this opportunity. Um, and there isn't people really helping, helping with that. Um, and you can see, you know, my brother's trying to make changes um, globally with what he believes. And, uh, and I'm super proud of, of him for, for doing that. And uh, as I've said previously, if the Hamilton family, um, who are now a household name, um, not not just within motorsport now. If we can't make a change within motorsport, um, then who then who can um, and who will be able to? Um, and I I would love for motorsport UK to um, you know get behind some disabled people, um, make access a lot easier for them, and and show that motorsport is for everybody for all colors, all creeds, um, all situations, um, because it'd be great to have it, uh, um, you know, a, a black engineer or a disabled engineer or whoever, you know, being a part of a team. Um, because I'm just one of, of two members of my team currently that are black. Everybody else in the, in the, in the, um, in the team is white, especially, um, you know, down the grid, you know, there's a lot of white faces and I don't see any disabled people either. And uh, no wonder there's no disabled people because it's so hard to access um, as a sport. So yeah, there's been some changes, but nowhere near enough.
And then as well, in terms of diversifying the sport, since it's obviously something that's, you know, dear to Lewis's heart, your heart, I mean, my heart as well as a person of color. And I mean, as I was saying, growing up in the Caribbean, I, it, was, it would never be something me or my brothers probably would consider because again, until Lewis came about and weird to say that this was back then when we were kids and now Lewis is still the only, <laughs> you know, black person racing in Formula One that we see. Um, we know that now is a, a bit of a, well, we feel that hopefully it is a, a massive turning point given, you know, what's been going on, especially in the United States and the, the extra support that we're finally seeing for Black Lives Matter. Do you feel like this feels like a time that it will actually stick, that we're on to probably something here that we can start to feel good about something or what much more, you know, needs to needs to be done if it's just, you know, not taking the knee, et cetera, and, you know, barking down our messages to any and everybody that will listen. How do you feel as someone who grew up here in England? I tell people all the time, I, I now thank God that I grew up in Jamaica and I never had to experience racism until facts. I moved here, you know, or I moved to the United States. It was something so alien to me, but now, you know, I have enough experiences to make up for all the years that I didn't feel it, which is obviously a sad thing. So do you feel like we're onto something and that this could be a massive turning point or do you still kind of feel like there's so much more to go? Uh, yeah. Well, firstly, um, I, uh, my my mum, my mum is white. Um, I I love my mum. All my all my friends, majority of my friends are white people. Um, I went to school. I was the only black person at school, so um, I was surrounded by white people all the time. And uh, I I didn't feel um, like uh, I I I I experienced any sort of racism through my schooling or through the people that I knew or anything like that. And, and anything that my parents went through, um, my mum and dad made sure that they sheltered me from it. Um, so I, uh, um, I was, I, I've always kept myself quite, um, quite quiet when it comes to, to, to racism and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, because, you know, I've, I've not really, I've not really felt it firsthand. Even though my family have have been open to it and and had have had a lot of um, uh, a lot of uh, you know racial experiences um, thrown upon them, um, but this this period of time for sure has has even opened my eyes to to the to the history, to to the to real the real understanding of it. And also to, to see that there's so many people out there that actually don't know about it, don't know the feeling, um, don't know what it's don't know what it's about, and it's it's then um, opened my eyes to realise, go yeah, wow, you know, um, I'm just I've been super super fortunate that um, I've I've still had the opportunities um, and equal opportunities, um, I would say. Um, in comparison to others um, of of my colour and of my situation, and especially with my disability and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's there's so many people that uh, that are in worse off um, places and conditions and feel like they're not heard and feel like they don't have that opportunity, um, the equality and and um, uh, the opportunities to 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 follow their dreams and follow or pursue what their their passions. Um, so. I think 
there's a lot that has been done already through social media, through the news, through what people are, are, are reading up on. And um, especially with, you know, with Lewis taking the head in motorsport through it, through all of this period of time. Um, but it's important for it to continue because if it doesn't continue, basically I feel like it would just stop and almost be, be cast aside. Um, and, uh, and so it's definitely the starting of a, of a turning point, um, but it will only continue to turn and uh, continue to be a positive step if, if people um, are open to keep pushing forward regardless, and that's improving their understanding um, and not just um, you know jumping on the bandwagon and mm. and uh, you know doing Blackout Tuesday because everybody else was doing Blackout Tuesday on 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 social media. There needs there needs to be they need to really feel it and understand why um, and continue to to feel it and continue to understand why and continue to move forward and continue to get behind to get behind it for for it to actually uh, make a positive effect. But I would say so far. So far, so good. And then, I mean, you speak about representation and how important that clearly is, you know, just at all levels, really. Does that, um, not trying to retire you anytime soon, because you're still in your 20s and you're still young, uh, but eventually, do you feel like because of this, you know, the fact that you have to be a voice for others as well coming through, do you feel like one day it might lead you or have you ever considered taking you know an administrative job you know in motorsports or beyond to to at least physically try to get the changes that you want to see out of there uh yeah i mean i, I would i would like to um really if, if i was being honest i would feel like i um i feel like i wouldn't be heard um and uh i i feel like um as i said especially in the disabled, uh, through the, the whole disabled subject. Um, I, don't feel, I don't feel like I will be hurt. So I, I, I'm, I'm very nervous to even, even put my point across. Um, so I, I, would, I, would, I would like the opportunity to, to eventually at some stage, maybe have that, that uh, ability to, to make some positive changes. Um, but to do that, I need people to be open-minded that are above that are above me and uh really as a as a motorsport uh, athlete as a driver we are actually a small chink in the chain um you know all we do is turn up and drive our car fast um as much as we are the face we are the face of of our sport um you know of our category whether it's touring cars or whatever um we are controlled by um, the people that run it and if the people that run it aren't on the same level as the drivers that are feeling certain things um, then we can't really do much about it um, so so for me I, I would definitely love to to have the opportunity to try and create more opportunities um, for for people and, and to do better things for everybody um, but to do that I need I need people above me to uh, to be open-minded to uh, allow me to at least speak my mind um, and and understand my opinions and they won't always be correct um, but I think uh, yeah I mean sitting down and speaking to the the big weeks of motorsport in the UK would would be a really cool conversation but one that I feel like I would always be 
um, I know, put down on really. That's that's where I currently sit and feel. Um, but yeah, I would I would love the opportunity at some stage. No, I mean, but rightfully so, because uh, so far I suppose that that's just been the norm. You know that that these a lot of these voices have been silenced. You know, and I I think of funny too, just to still touching on Lewis and this in in what he's been talking about for you know Black Lives Matter and whatnot. I remember there was a comment that he um someone had said, why does he have to be so militant about it? And I was like excuse me <laughs> again coming from someone who has never had to deal with experiences like say you and i do you feel like for this and for people to be open-minded about you know to to show that you can give people with disabilities this chance so that they could race eventually with able-bodied people such as yourself do you feel like you kind of have to be like that you have to be extra militant and extra vocal until it eventually wears them down so they're like okay nick let's hear you out now do you feel like that's the road you're gonna have to go down uh maybe i i'm um i'm i'm a really quiet person i don't i don't shout i don't shout and argue i'm, I'm not aggressive at all um so i even so i don't follow through with what i believe a lot of the time you know if, if i'm if i'm speaking to someone that is that i feel is a, is above me um you know then i i won't i won't actually argue my point um so 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 for me i my brother's completely different you know he he sees his worth he sees his value and he wants to be heard and he will he doesn't really to be to be fair he doesn't he doesn't really care about who he upsets along the way as long as he as long as he gets to it to put his point across and show that he's trying to do it for a good reason um then then that's all he wants he just wants it to be a positive step um and spread positivity that's all he talks about um whereas for me even though i know i want to do positive things and i, and I want to shout and and be heard um i know it's really difficult and i don't want to come across as arrogant so um I don't, so so it's, it's a fine balance but really it's, it's right you know there's going to be a point where if, if it's something i really want to um to follow through with you know i'm gonna have to you know call up the the big weeks up in the uk at motorsport and and say, look, I, I want a meeting, and this is the reason why. And you know, if you guys don't want to hear, then that sort of teaches me a lot about um, motorsport and what you guys feel, because um, you know we're sitting here feeling that we we need some changes and, and improvements. Um, and if you're not willing to open your mind to it, um, then it just shows that you know, in terms of improving motorsport as a whole. It's gonna be it's gonna be difficult. So I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm I'm just keeping my powder dry at the moment, keeping my my uh, my thoughts to myself. Even though I've said quite a lot on this on this podcast about it, um, but hopefully, you know, in time, uh, I could be an advocate for for disabled people to try and have more opportunities in the sport. And that doesn't mean having to drive a car. Um, you know, just being a part of a team and and going to a racetrack and feeling the. the 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 sounds and the noises and the fumes and and the hustle and bustle around it and how exciting motorsport is um you know there's so many people that aren't able to do that um 
And if I can, you know, just give them the opportunity to, to come and have a shot and have a go, then I've done my job. I think you probably have already done that. You don't even know how much. So there you go. If you need, if you need any doors breaking down, physically speaking, just let me know. Cause <laughs> that's where the feisty Jamaican in me comes <laughs> in. I, I definitely <laughs> physically break down doors. So I got you there, <laughs> but it's just throwing things back now, switching it up a bit, but throwing it back to the point that we were saying how we didn't even know that you were ready for lockdown gaming decades, probably before we even knew we had to deal with this pandemic. And something that you are a part of now is um, this V10 R League um, with Red Bull. So tell me a bit more about that because I hear that it's um, we're expecting to see a format that's kind of not like or not one that we've seen in other esports. Yeah. So um, obviously, I came through my my simulation gaming scenario when I was a when I was getting into motorsport. Um, then I started uh, developing Project Cars, um, which is done by uh, Slightly Mad Studios. And I, I worked for them for five years on, on Project Cars 1 and 2. Um, so I was heavily, heavily, heavily into gaming. And a lot of people know about that. And, uh, and that, as I said, it was before esports was a thing. Um, then I got a call from, um, from Gfinity, who, who are starting this new V10 R League um, esports championship and uh yeah it's, it's a really cool um format a lot of people were were uh probably skeptical about it um and when they started talking to me about it and the way that they were uh the terminology they were using in terms of like relay races and all sort of stuff i was i was like well relay is something you do in a in a um in athletics or, or something i like was that. gonna say i saw relay and i was like how'd you do that like pass the baton <laughs> out the window or something yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so to start with even i was was skeptical and um they they signed me on as, as a as a commentator now i've never commentated on anything in my life um i know all there is to know about most sport but in terms of commentating it's quite difficult so they they threw us in at the deep end myself and uh ben daly ben daly is a uh youtuber um for uh, he does a lot of uh, f1 esports sort of stuff and um yeah I, d I didn't really know ben um and got thrown in yeah into this into this world of now being a, a commentator so our first series our first show was quite difficult because we had to um we everything was was pre-recorded on the first show but understanding this 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 format you know where there's there was basically there's basically eight teams um they have three drivers each um and they have reserve drivers so with these with these teams you know people like uh, ford uh team suzuki uh bmw uh, bm bwt racing point um bmw motorsport Porsche 24 Redline, you know, really good brands were behind this. And uh, with this format of it being uh, three, three races, um, you know, a relay race, um, a head to head and a team race, um, and then understanding the point scenarios with it all. Um, yeah, it was really, really difficult to, to, to put your head across or put your head around and then, and then actually commentate on it all. But really it turns into being a, a really cool, exciting championship exciting league and uh yeah the last race of the season um in terms of championship decider uh went down to the, the actual last team race which was really cool so it was cool to be a part of it and uh yeah i really enjoyed 
being in the studio, being around, you know, TV and all that sort of stuff, um, it was something different. Oh, so that's me. You're going to come join us at ESPN one day in the future. Who knows? Uh, Commentary, come take my job and host this (laughs) podcast. (laughs) You never know. To be fair, we do this, like, we have, like, guest analysts on every time where we've had drivers, actually. Um, We had Juan Manuel Correa come on as well to look back at Sochi and whatnot. So who knows? We'll bring you on one day, too. And there you go. We'll wear more hats than who knows than yeah. me probably because I do love me some hats. <laughs> and then just speaking, I guess, still of um, Formula One before we start wrapping. I mean, I know everything is a family effort, so I have to say congrats to the entire Hamilton family on Lewis's achievement at the weekend. I mean, um, to the world, as you said, he's Lewis Hamilton. To you, he's just your big bro, you know, and I know you're super proud of him. But um, the fact that you see his name up there with Michael Schumacher's records, which I think fans of motorsports at one point thought no way is anybody catching these numbers you know and now here we're wondering gosh how much can Lewis get more than this now um how do you does that kind of still surprise you even though you know him better than anyone does him his name up there with Schumacher still kind of surprise or is it just something that you know was just always in him um (laughs) yeah I mean I've I've been Lewis's number one fan since day one Lewis has millions and millions and millions of fans around the world that say that they're his number one fan. Um, but they lie. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I am, uh, I would definitely say um, no one's a bigger fan than, than myself. You're the OG. I, without a doubt. And, uh, you know, I still appreciate all the support that, that his fans give him. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm so, so, so proud of, so proud of him uh, to see him, develop into an incredible human um you know from from someone um from the from from stevenage to to not really having a a dream or anything to 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 now be such an amazing athlete um and figurehead for for the world generally um and to be classed as especially like this year i think one of the most inspirational people of, of 2020 in the world you know is is incredible and, and the the records that he's he's breaking um i always knew he had it in him so i'm not really surprised because i've just seen his growth every year um to make decisions of leaving teams when people said that it would be the worst decision of his career to turning that around and pushing a team forward and you know now on the brink of his seventh world title um is is incredible um and i'm i'm pretty lost words lost words because i don't know how he does it every every race he's always on the top of his game and uh you know it's very rare that he has a day off and a and a, and a, a bad day um but when he does have a bad day, he always works on it, moves forward and comes out fighting um, stronger in the next one. And it doesn't seem to matter how many records he breaks. Um, he doesn't really focus on the records. He just focuses on winning his races. And it doesn't matter how many wins he has. He's still as hungry as, as he's ever been for the next win. And he... he, he understands the amount of um, responsibility he has on his shoulders for his team. 
um, who work tirelessly to provide him, you know, the best equipment. Um, but he's also driven that team forward. You know, he he has he has been with. It's almost without without Mercedes AMG Petronas, there's no Lewis Hamilton. But without Lewis Hamilton, there's no Mercedes AMG Petronas. And for him to be that that successful and and that amazing part of that amazing team and structure is incredible. Um, so yeah, 91 wins uh, is unbelievable. Um, just one win in a, in a Formula One car for anybody is an amazing achievement. Um, and to have done that 91 times and match Michael Schumacher, where when we were growing up, every, every child or racing um, kid wanted to wear a replica of Michael Schumacher's helmet. Um, and now you go to, to a local kart circuit and they're wearing replicas of, of Lewis Hamilton. And at the time it was, oh, I want to be the next Michael Schumacher. And now it's, I want to be the next Lewis Hamilton, which is, which is incredible. Because as I said, we were just a poor black family from, from Stevenage and we didn't really know where we were going. Um, but to have, have had this opportunity to now show um, that any dream can be, can be broken or, or achieved um, not broken. I didn't mean broken. I meant achieved. Uh, <laughs> the record's uh, broken. Yeah, record's broken. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's incredible. So, uh, yeah, where where can he go? Um, I've I want to see how far he can take it. Um, but I know Lewis won't be thinking about that. He'll just be wanting to win his races. Uh, well. Good luck to all the likes of Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc and everyone looking down those numbers and going, geez, when's this yeah, guy going to give us a chance? <laughs> but, you know, those guys, those guys are very talented as well. You know, they've, yeah. got, um, they've got long careers ahead of them. Um, you know, especially both of, the, both of those guys, Leclerc yeah. and, and, and Max, fantastic drivers. And, you know, you never know what opportunities they're going to be given in the future. Uh, with the way that you know Formula One is going at the moment, you never know. It can change just like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Lewis is—he definitely knows that he's got to make hay whilst the sun shines because the car's not always going to be that amazing for uh, forever. And even though he can he can drive a bad car, you know, there's not ever been—he's not always been in the best, best, best car. Yeah, and, and he's won races in it. Um, you know. But when it's like this, he's got to keep pushing forward. And that's, that's exactly what he's doing. So. And finally, before we wrap, what's next for you? Um, besides definitely joining us again to, as our guest analyst. But what's next for you? What are you working on? Um, and what we can see? Because like we said, it's still a bit of an unknown year. We never know exactly what's coming around the corner. But um, good to still see you in action. So where can we catch you next? Yeah, so um, obviously I've got the, the rest of uh, my British touring car season to, to finish. Um, this year's been a decent year. Uh, it's been ups and downs, but I've, I've got my first points of the season ever in the championship this year, which was, which was a positive step. Uh, I've got two races left, um, so I'm going to finish that. And uh, yeah, at the same time, work on next year. I've got big plans for next year, which I'm excited for touring cars. Um, as well as my motorsport, I do a lot of public speaking. Um, you know, trying to uh, to use my story as motivation for others, um, and and try and share my platform as much as I can. Um, and then also, yeah, doing some from F1 esports uh, broadcasting and all that sort of stuff. Just trying to keep myself busy, you know, and um, do things uh, for myself. Uh, keep myself moving. Keep myself fit. Keep myself active. 
Um, but yeah, you will, uh, you'll always hear about me. I'm, I'm trying to develop myself in the best way possible in different areas. Uh, what matters to me most is, is that I get to, to my racing um, to, to achieve what I want to achieve in motorsport. Um, I still feel like I haven't achieved nowhere near enough or what I would like to. Um, so moving forward for next year is, is a big step and having the, the sponsors and the people behind me to do that, to make that happen is, is going to be my, my first goal um, to make sure I can continue following my dream and continue to, to spread positive energy. 100% and hopefully when this pandemic subsides we can actually come out and and see in action because I've yet to actually see motorsport here in England in action since I've gotten here because unfortunately the pandemic hit but we'll get there soon 100% thank you so much Nick for chatting with us I feel like I could talk to you forever but um, we don't want them to come and cuss me so <laughs> we'll let you go thank you so so very much and we'll definitely look forward to having you again soon <laughs>